God, we thank you for the passage of Scripture that's been read to us, and we pray that you would give us wisdom as we reflect on these words. Uh, We pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you've heard the phrase that you don't get a second chance for a first impression. And that phrase is just teaching the fact that we make judgments based on how we see someone when we first meet them. And it's really difficult to overcome those first impressions. We make uh, statements in our mind about what a person is like just based on what we have seen right there. I actually remember a time in high school where one of my teachers uh, thought that I was a Satanist. And I wasn't a Satanist, just so you know. Uh, I was far from God, but I definitely wasn't a Satanist. How do I know that he thought that? He actually came up to me and asked me if I was a Satanist. And the reason he thought that is because I had long hair, which I know is really hard for you to imagine me with long hair, but I indeed did have long hair at the time. And I had uh, I wore T-shirts with my favorite heavy metal bands, and he just made this judgment based on what he saw on the outside that I must have been a Satanist. Have you ever made that kind of judgment about a person and then found out that you were wrong, that they weren't exactly the same person that you thought? Uh, I'll tell you, when it comes to Amanda and I, it definitely was not love at first sight, okay? Far from it. Neither one of us liked each other when we first met each other. In fact, we actively disliked each other when we first met. Now, thankfully, uh, we learned that we were both wrong, and uh, we did uh, uh, come first to be friends and then uh, eventually to to get married. But uh, we were wrong in those first impressions that we had. We can be wrong about these things. What we see on the outside doesn't necessarily tell us the whole picture. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it's filled with stories of people who were unexpected. That they were the ones that people would look at and say, that is definitely not the one that God is going to work through. And yet, that is indeed the one. In fact, when you look at the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament... But throughout the, the Bible, you'll find that God seems to avoid the one that seems most likely to be able to fill the role. He goes for the unlikely one, the one who doesn't look like they are going to fit the part. And that is the case when it comes to David. And David is not just any biblical figure. He is one of the most important people, not just in the Old Testament, but the entire Bible. Uh, he is not only uh, one of the uh, the first kings of Israel, the, the king who was able to start a, a dynasty that was able to last longer than any other. He is also the one who is described as a man after God's own heart. He is also the descendant. Uh, he's the ancestor of Jesus. In fact, the Messiah that they were looking forward to was known as the son of David, the the descendant of David, and that's who Jesus was. So David was extremely important, and yet things did not look that way at the very beginning. So that's what we're going to be taking a look at. What we've been looking at in the past number of weeks, we've been uh, going slowly through the, the history of Israel. And last time, we saw that the, the people of Israel were in their promised land, and they were led from time to time by judges. And these judges were people that, would, uh, that God would rise up at a certain time when there was a crisis 
in the country. They would uh, come up and they would lead the people to victory. However, the people of Israel began to look at the other nations around them and would see that they weren't led by judges. They were led by kings. Now, technically, Israel was led by a king, and that king was God. Israel was supposed to be a theocracy, a, a, a nation that was led by God, and then God would use these human beings like judges and prophets and so on to, to uh, help that leadership continue. However, they wanted to have a human king, a, a king that they could physically see and be with and interact and ask questions and receive judgments from and, and so on. And so they went to Samuel, who was a prophet, and, and said, demand that God give us a king like the other nations. And so God actually answered that prayer a little bit too literally. Uh, instead of asking for the most godly king, they asked for a king like the other nations, and that's exactly what they got. They got a king named Saul. Now, Saul was the kind of person that if you met him, you would think this is the kind of person who should be a king. He looked kingly. He was big and strong, and he just had that majestic look. He was the, the kind of person that as soon as you see him, you had a sense of respect, that this was someone who, who knew what they were doing, uh, who had the power to, to lead the people. The problem was that he wasn't right on the inside. In fact, he was an absolute mess. He disobeyed over and over again. God would keep giving him another chance, and he would mess up, and he would mess up big. It was just terrible. So eventually, God had enough of this, and he had really taught the people of Israel a lesson. They had demanded a king like the nations, uh, and so they got one, a, a king who was more interested in his own affairs and his own uh, popularity and prosperity. That's what they got. But now God was a God of grace and of mercy, and he was now going to give them a king the way they should have had a king in the first place, a king with a heart after God's own heart, and that's going to be David. But they didn't know that yet, and even Samuel didn't know that yet. So uh, God called Samuel to go to Bethlehem, to go there and to anoint the next king of Israel. Now, the problem with that, that is Saul is still alive. It's one thing if the former king has died and then you're going to go and to anoint a new king. That just makes sense. That's what people would want. But Saul is still alive. And so he's not going to want to know that his court prophet, Samuel, is going around anointing new kings. And so, yeah, God puts Samuel on a secret mission. He's not allowed to tell people what he's up to. But he goes there to Bethlehem to offer a sacrifice, and he's told to call upon Jesse, because it's going to be through Jesse's family that this is going to happen. And God is going to speak to Samuel as to what happens. And so there they are. They call upon Jesse, and Samuel asks Jesse, bring your son. Uh, if you have a son here, bring him forward. I need to see him. And so Jesse is feeling pretty good about this, and the, the son comes through, and uh, Samuel looks at him and thinks, this is it. This guy looks kingly. This is the kind of guy that we would like to have as the king of Israel. But God speaks to Samuel and says, no, this is not the one. And so Samuel keeps asking, well, is there any other sons? And so one after one, they bring, Jesse brings in the sons, 
And God keeps saying, no, that's not it. That's not the one. I know that they look good on the outside, but they don't have on the inside what I'm looking for. And so Samuel's starting to get a little bit frustrated here. And then finally says to Jesse, is there, is there no other sons? Well, there is another son, but you know, we've never really thought about inviting him to this because he's not that important. He's the youngest one. Uh, he's the one who's out in the fields right now. But, you know, we could bring him if you want, but I, I don't think he's what you're looking for. And Samuel insists. In fact, no one's allowed to sit down until we get this son here. And so as soon as uh, Samuel sees David, God speaks to him and says, this is the one. This is the one we're going to anoint. This is going to be the next king of Israel. It's an amazing story for us to hear. To understand what it means for us, though, I think it's helpful for us to put ourselves in the position of different figures in this story. And so we're probably drawn to different figures. When we look at the story, we probably are identifying with one or another of the people there. For myself, I'm drawn to David. There's just something about uh, the innocence of David here, that he doesn't know what's going on, and he's put in this amazing circumstance. So let's take a look at this from David's perspective. Use your imagination and try to... Imagine that you are David in this story, that you're out there in the fields taking care of the sheep, doing your job, and perhaps you've heard some rumors that the great prophet Samuel has come to visit Bethlehem. That by itself would be amazing because nobody comes to to visit Bethlehem, and here Samuel is there, one of the most famous people of the day. And not only is that happening, then you start to hear stories about uh, he's spending time with your father and some of your brothers. And that explains why you're out in the fields alone, because all the other brothers are there in town where all the action is. They're spending time with the famous Samuel, and you're stuck out there in the fields. But you got to do what you got to do, and so you're doing your job, you're protecting the sheep, and all's well. And then eventually you get called in. You get called in and you're wondering, why do they want me? I mean, everyone who's important is already there. Why would they want me there? But you follow your orders and you go there. And as you approach Samuel, there's this look on his face like he, he recognizes you. Even though you've never met before, he recognizes something in you. There's this look of satisfaction on his face as he's finally found what he's looking for. But you don't know what's going on. And he anoints you. And you have this sense that you have turned a corner in your life. That before this, no one really uh, paid any respect to you. No one treated you as being special. You didn't think of yourself as being special. You're just that loyal son of your father doing the work that you're called to do. And yet, there seems to be something else happening here. Someone has recognized something inside of you. Perhaps you're here today as a David, where you feel like people don't recognize the gifts that you have in you. It's not that you're you're seeking the glory, but you feel like people are judging you based on how you look or how you talk or how you act or whatever. They already have decided exactly the way you are, and they don't see the real you, and you wish that people could see the real you. Well, the good news is God sees the real you. 
He's not fooled by anything on the outside. He knows your heart. And he has a plan for you, for the real you, the you that is on the inside. And the story of David encourages us in that. Well, let's shift gears and put ourselves in the sandals of Samuel. Imagine what it's like for Samuel. Here you are, you're put on this this secret mission where you can't even be honest about what you're doing. Uh, You have to uh, come up with an excuse to go to Bethlehem. You're afraid of what Saul's going to do because Saul has this reputation of being the kind of guy who could uh, just flip out at a moment's notice. And certainly, if he finds out that you're out there trying to anoint another king, this is going to be uh, this is going to mean your head. Like, you're in big trouble here. So you're really nervous about this. But you work ultimately for God and not for Saul. And so you go and you do what you have to do. And you arrive in Bethlehem. You follow what God has said in order to... Uh, uh, talking about uh, bringing the, the sacrifice there. You seek out Jesse. Now, you know what you're supposed to do, but what, what's actually going on in your mind? Uh, are you thinking, okay, I need to get this over with as soon as possible. So, like, let's get this first uh, son out, we'll anoint him, and let's get out of Bethlehem, because this is not safe for me to be here. Is, is that what he's thinking? Or, is he thinking that I need to anoint a king here who's going to be my protector. I need to anoint someone who looks powerful, who is powerful, who's got what it takes to stand up against Saul. Because this could mean a civil war coming up, and Samuel will be on the wrong side of that civil war. And he's going to need someone who's going to be there and to save him from Saul. So maybe that's what he's looking at when he sees these sons who look strong and powerful, that this is the one who's going to save him. And yet God keeps saying, no, no, no. And you're getting frustrated. And finally, David comes out, this little kid that you think there's no way that he can stand up to Saul. In fact, uh, later on in the story of David and Goliath, uh, we're told that David wears Saul's armor, and Saul's armor is so much bigger than David that it just looks silly. He looks like a a little child uh, playing make-believe. That's what it looks like. And so when when, uh, Samuel sees David here, he's probably wondering, how is this going to be the one who's going to to uh, take Israel to safety and, and even to save Samuel's life. How is that going to happen? And yet God has, has challenged Samuel. What are you going to do? It's not just about logic. It's not just about following the methods. It's about following what God wants. And maybe today you're here as a Samuel, that you want to see ministry happen the way it needs to happen. You know the the opportunities and the challenges we have here at Queen Street Baptist Church. We have logical plans of how we can move forward in that. But what is God saying? And what happens when God's will for what we want to do goes against our human logic? What do we do with that? Are we willing to to follow through with what God wants? Or do we do what makes sense to us? And then finally, let's take a look at Jesse. Now, I don't want to to paint a picture of of Jesse as uh, having uh, a bad relationship with David or anything like that. I, I don't think that he hated his son by any means. But he saw the youngest one as the one who 
uh, was able to go out into the fields and to free up the other children who really had a role in that community. If uh, Samuel is going to be there for a sacrifice, if there's going to be this big event, then it's better to have David out there than to have any of the other brothers out there. Because these are the ones who are impressive. These are the ones that he can present to Samuel, and Samuel can praise him for these big, strong sons that he has, and uh, perhaps he'll see some kind of rule. Maybe he'll have a connection with uh, with Saul's uh, office that he can get them good jobs there. Who knows? But he, he sees it important to get these sons in front of Samuel, but not to get David, because he's already made a decision about what David is like. Not that he's bad, he's just insignificant. And maybe we have lived as Jesse's. Maybe there are people around us that we have made decisions about that we don't hate them, we don't actively dislike them, but we think of them as being insignificant. We, we think of them as not having what it takes to make a real difference. They just don't have the credentials. And yet... This story reminds us that God's not looking for the credentials. What God is looking for is something on the inside. He's looking for a heart that is willing to be obedient to God. I see in this story two challenges for us. The first challenge is for us who feel like people don't understand us, uh, that people are making judgments about us. They, they meet us, they see us, they, they think they know what we're all about, and they dismiss our abilities. And if you're feeling that frustration, I want you to know that no matter what other people think of you, God knows what the real person is like. He knows your heart, even if everyone else misunderstands who you are. The second challenge is is about how we treat other people. Maybe we make snap decisions about what other people are like. We look at them and say, okay, I know what they're like. I know what their intelligence level is. I know uh, what their uh, financial status is. I know all these things. And I have already put them in the place where they can do what they can do and they can't go any farther. We're going to limit their opportunities because we've already decided what they're like. Have we made those decisions about other people? And are we willing to have our minds changed, to realize that there is more to them than meets the eye. This story challenges us to rethink how we look at people and how we judge people on the outside. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the story of the anointing of David, this little shepherd boy who's brought in, uh, surrounded by his big, tall brothers, and yet it was him that you had chosen. And Lord, there may be people here in this room who are just as unlikely heroes, who people who have judged based on what they see on the outside, and yet you have a special rule and a special plan for each one. We pray that you would help us to be sensitive to your voice, as Samuel was sensitive to your voice, and that we would be obedient to your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.